uh, 1 Peter 4, 7. Uh, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability uh, which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom we praise, uh, be praised and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And uh, this evening I want to talk about ministering one to another. And uh, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us this evening as we uh, consider uh, this passage of Scripture, as we consider the context of our church and those uh, in the local assembly, the local body here, as we minister to each other and, and, and encourage one another. Uh, the reality is we're not going to get the encouragement in the world. And uh, so we as believers... Uh, need to, to take it upon ourselves to be that encouragement to one another and, and minister to each other. I pray that you'd help us now in these next few moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, God has a specific calling for, for every Christian. And uh, the different vocations, uh, our, our jobs, our vocations may differ. We are all called to minister, to minister to each other. Sometimes I get to know somebody and, uh, you know, they'll find out I'm a pastor or, or whatnot, and they'll ask, you know, well, how many ministers are there at the church? And I'll say, eh, about 20 or 30. And I'll say, what? Hey, how big is this church? And, uh, you know, really, those are, those are those that are stepping up as Christians that says, you know what, I'm going to be a minister. I'm called to be a minister. I, I do believe every member, every active member of the church ought to be a minister, ought to be a servant in some capacity. And as we're serving the body and serving one another, you know, you don't need a title uh, to be a Christian. Um, yeah, to, to, and what I mean by that is to do what, what God kind of expects of Christians. We, we are called to be ministers. Sometimes people think it's the, it's the pastor's job to serve the church, or it's the deacon's job to serve the church, or, or we, kind of, we kind of have these certain expectations, but we are all called in this area. When Paul wrote to the, the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4.1, he said, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And and he, he had this ownership of a ministry that God had called him to. And we all have an aspect, an element of ministry. I do believe that, uh, that as we grow in the Christian life, that there, there is that, that infancy stage where, where you're, you're taking in and you're growing and you're, you're, uh, you're getting the nutrients that are needed and so forth. But there should come a point where you say, okay, now what's my position? What am I to do? What is my, what, how do I fit in this? We talked about that uh, uh, in the earlier part of this series where we talked about the spiritual gifts and how they, they fit together and they, they minister to each other in that capacity. But, but what is my place? You know, uh, what's interesting is Peter um, puts, puts uh, uh, the beginning of this few verses, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. He, he, he was encouraging and challenging with this mindset that our time is short. The end of all things is at hand. The Lord could come at any minute. And, and this is the same Peter that says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. And those promises are the promise of judgment. The promise of the end. He's not slack concerning his promises. as Some men count slackness. So what's taking God so long? But he's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, um, and so Peter had this mindset of, of the end, of, of the return of Christ. And um, 
And, uh, you know, the Bible is clear, by the way, that Christ um, uh, has promised a return, uh, or uh, uh, rather, that the Bible is clear that Jesus has promised uh, some things uh, to return, and that prior to his return, there's going to be some troublesome times, perilous times shall come. There's going to be a great falling away, and, uh, you know, in the first Peter, we, we learned this early church was experiencing many difficulties. First Peter was written between somewhere around uh, 63 to 64 A.D., and it was during this time, there was a one-week period where Rome burned. Um, Emperor Nero uh, had to explain this, and, and we can kind of get our own context today. Uh, we think about the, the California fires. Uh, you know, every, every year or every couple of years, the California fires are out of control, and we look at the governor there, and we say, what are you doing? <laughs> Why aren't you taking control of this? And so you've got to have this excuse or that excuse or, you know, what's going on here. Well, Nero is no different. We uh, rewind about uh, 2,000 years, and there would need to be an answer. Why did this fire go for a week? And it burned a huge portion of the city. And so what he did is he made Christians the scapegoat. And uh, he said, well, it's the Christians' fault. They're the ones that did it. And so what they started doing is they would go around, and they were rounding up Christians, anyone who would not deny the faith, and they would try them and convict them. And it wasn't for the fires. They would convict them for this, for their hatred for humanity. Isn't that interesting? And, um, in fact, uh, first century historian um, uh, uh, Tacitus uh, wrote, uh, wrote about this time. He says, therefore, first those were seized who admitted their faith, and then using the information they provided, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much for the crimes of burning the city, but for hatred of the human race. And perishing, they were added, uh, uh, additionally made into sports. They were killed by dogs by having hides of beasts attached to them. They were nailed to crosses and set aflame. And when the daylight passed away, they were used as nighttime lamps. Nero was, uh, was killing Christians and, and many times crucifying them. And at nighttime, they'd light those crosses on fire and it would, it would light up Nero's gardens. And, uh, and uh, just a horrible time. That's the time frame. That's the backdrop that's going on as we read this passage, as we consider what Peter's writing about. In fact, Peter references persecution that the church is facing at least 15 times in, uh, in his short letter. Significantly talking about in 1 Peter 4, 12, he talks about the fiery trial, which is to try you. That puts a little bit of uh, an illustration to it. That puts a little bit of a picture, a word picture to it when you talk about the fiery trial, which is to try you. They, they were facing these, uh, uh, these persecutions officially from the Roman Empire. And it was in the midst of these trials that Peter reminded the church to minister one to another. If, if there would be any encouragement for those first century believers, it was going to come from the church itself. They were not going to get encouragement from the world. They were not going to get encouragement from the unbeliever. If they were going to be encouraged, it was going to be encouragement from each other, from one another. And I need to move. Someone's car is glaring the sun on me. Um, so with that in mind, we have to ask, we ask this question. How do we minister then one to another? And the passage gives us uh, three ways I, I, would, I, I kind of categorize. Uh, first of all, we minister in love. Minister in love. Uh, it says there, um, uh, and above all things, uh, verse number 8. Well, let me back up. The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, be alert, be on guard, and watch under prayer. And I want to say before we even get into this, as we consider ministering one to another, these are some things we need to take very seriously. We need to have a very sober mind. And we need to be very prayerful. Watch under prayer. There's, a, there's, a, there's an idea of a soldier being on guard, uh, watching. 
And, and let me say, when you see the headlines on, uh, on the news, we need to be watching unto prayer. When we see the things that are going on around us worldwide, we, we, we need to be watching unto prayer. All right? There's a big difference then between saying, oh, you know, what's, what's happening? And, and even saying, uh, I see biblical ramifications of, uh, of what's going on, or I could see how this could be playing out in end time events we, and, and, and seeing those things. But taking that and saying, I'm being watchful and I'm taking it to prayer. Lord, how should we respond to this? How should fellow believers? That's the idea as we get into this. So then he says, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. <coughs> Excuse me. By the way, what is charity? Love, yeah. And uh, it's a very specific love. It's an actionable love. Too often, I think, I think that was one of those words that's kind of been hijacked a little bit. We think of charity, we think of, you know, Salvation Army, or we think of donating clothes or, or whatever. Uh, we were actually, my, my wife and I, we were debating calling Sadie Charity when she was born. And I uh, kind of ran it by my mom, and she's like, like Salvation Army? And I figured, do we have to explain it to everybody that asks why we call her charity? You know, and so we decided not to go with it. Furthermore, we didn't want to feed pride because the Bible says charity is the greatest. And uh, we don't want to turn into something like that. But anyways, I love the word charity because it's such a beautiful, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. That's godly love. That's how God wants to love others through us. And, uh, and so what he says here is this. He says, uh, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Uh, the idea here is a passion with your charity. Fervency. The word fervent means stretched out, earnest, uh, intent, or uh, constant. Uh, a church that is fulfilling its purpose is one that, that is characterized by an intense, loving spirit. Uh, it's very intentional about this thing. You see, love, you know, we, and we've heard it said, right, love is an action. Well, what is fervent love then? It's making it your life's mission. It's this is who I am and this is what I'm after. It's, uh, you know, we have a natural tendency to be very self-centered. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have kids, you start to learn that really quickly. <laughs> that's, that's natural. That's the natural, that's our nature to be self-centered. We easily, and by the way, we easily can make church attendance about us. You know, what am I going to get out of it? How do I benefit from this? And, uh, and I think many churches today even model themselves after that. You know, uh, let's make sure we have enough of an entertainment factor to keep people engaged or to keep people coming or, or what have you. And, and we kind of have things around there. And, um, you know, God causes people to be reaching out and love, to encouraging one another. Uh, um, you know, uh, it's been said, arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. Arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. Are we reaching out? Warren Wearsby said, uh, said the, this about the word fervent. He said, the word uh, pictures an athlete straining to reach a goal. It speaks of eagerness and intensity. Christian love is something we work to. Uh, excuse me. We, uh, see, Christian love is something we have to work at just the way an athlete works at his skills. It's not a matter of emotional feeling, though that is included, but of, dis, uh, of dedicated will. And let me, let me just say, that kind of changes a little bit. When we think of love, what, what typically in society do we think of when we think of love? Romance, right? A feeling. You know, I've, uh, I've actually, um, I've actually uh, uh, worked with couples before that were struggling, and, and I was telling them, you know, well, well, love is, you know, for the husband, it's a command. And what does this love look like? It's something you, you, have, to, you have to do. 
Some young, and, and, he's, and his response was, uh, well, I don't think I should have to work for it. I don't think it should be a, a hard thing. You know, like, well, you're missing what biblical love is. <laughs> okay? It's a command. You know, I just don't love her anymore. What's that got to do with it? You're commanded to love her. You see? Um, it changes. It changes the thing. So when you talk about a fervent love, uh, I think, uh, you know, Hollywood and others have, have, have romanticized this thing that it's just a feeling that just comes naturally. Can I tell you, we don't naturally love our fellow man. We naturally love who? Ourselves, right? That's who we naturally love. We're in love with ourselves. And, um, and so, so when you put this together, let, uh, uh, have a fervent charity among yourselves, it's telling us to be intentional, work at it like an athlete works to be the best in his field. Us as Christians, we ought to work at being the best uh, uh, um, display of agape love to one another. What does that look like? Did you know when you, when you flip it a little bit, it changes from, well, I just don't feel like it, to, boy, I really got to step up and, and, and be this. I really got to step up and play this part um, uh, to meet needs because there are real needs that are happening. Because let's face it, it's, it's more natural for some people that, to show your love to than others, right? For example, my family. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to be the head of my home. I'm supposed to care for them and things. And that just comes naturally. You know, you, you want to challenge that thought. Uh, go assault somebody's child and see how the parents respond. There's a love there that's going to bring a, a, a rise out of them, right? But, uh, but when it's someone else's child, not my own, I've got to kind of go out of my way a little bit more, don't I? Uh, when it's somebody else that, that has a need to, to show their love to. The love in which we minister is, uh, is spread across a, a family of believers. Uh, notice the phrase, among yourselves, in verse number 8. It's easy for us to think about love and to talk about love, but we as Christians should actively show love uh, to each other in all that we do. No one comes to church. Uh, when people come to church, that, you know, there are many reasons why someone may come to church, but... But, but really, we don't come to church to just kind of uh, talk about all the problems with the world. I know sometimes it creeps in, and sometimes, you know, it's on our hearts, it's on our minds, but really, we get a lot of that at work, don't we? All the problems going on, you know, taxes are out of control, inflation, you know, all, all these things. And, and, uh, but you know what people really need when they come to church? They need some love. They need the fellowship that the church provides, that, that, that fellow believers provide. It, it should be passionate, it should be positive. Um... The love we minister is, uh, is, is a positive love. Verse number 8, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, we talk about this. The word there, cover, means to hide, to hinder the knowledge of a thing. When I say this, I'm not talking about sweeping something under the rug. We're not talking about, you know, pretend like something didn't happen. What we're talking about is kind of two aspects. First of all, we're talking about you don't need to be nitpicking. You know, there are just some things you don't, that don't really need to be made a big deal about. Um, it's been said, if you love somebody, they can hardly do anything wrong. If you hate somebody, they can hardly do anything right. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what we're talking about here. You know, it kind of just passes over some things. It doesn't need, not everything needs to be brought up and make, make a big deal out of. On the flip side, there are, there are times when sin needs to be addressed. But when that is made right and repented of, then it's time to move on. It's time to, you know, to keep dwelling on it and keep, keep, uh, keep that in the forefront all the time, but it's time to move on. True love deals with sin, but once it's dealt with and forgiveness is given, for, uh, given sin is covered. Resentment is careful to keep books, but love keeps no books. Resentment is careful to keep books, to keep records, but love keeps no books. 
And let me just say, if you're going to have a successful marriage, you need to learn to forgive. You're going to need to learn to, to, uh, to cover some things. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's what God did with us. Talked about that a little bit this morning. That's what God did with us. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't keep a record of your sin uh, once it's been paid for, once it's been dealt with? Uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He buries that thing. The handwriting ordinances that was against us, it was contrary to us. He took that thing out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. And a Christ-like love does the same. Uh, it's a powerful, powerful passage there. We, uh, um, can we love God and others enough to let certain things go, or, or do we need to win every fight? Do we need to bring everything out? Um, Proverbs 10, verse number 12 says, Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. True love ministers to one another in, uh, in a way that nothing else can. We minister in love. And secondly, we minister in hospitality, with hospitality. Um, great church ought to be given to hospitality. All, uh, all of us, not just the pastor or, uh, or different leaders in the church, or, uh, deacons and others, uh, but we should all be people of hospitality. Uh, meeting needs and, 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 and reaching out and... And it says there, uh, the next verse, verse number 9, use hospitality one to another. Um, well, what's interesting there is what it says, use hospitality like a tool. Uh, we are to use hospitality, uh, uh, which in the word hospitality means loving to guests or to strangers. Hospitality is like a tool. It, it, it works to, to open hearts for both fellowship, but also for the gospel, for unbelievers. Uh, hospitality is a, is a, is a way to, 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 to serve somebody, to show them you care, to show them that they're important to you, and, and, and it opens up the door for, for those deeper issues. Did you know it's not all about the meal? The meal is just a tool, right? You have someone over for dinner, you take someone out to lunch, we have our Sunday night potlucks around a table. It's not about the meal. The meal is just filling the time. By the way, we've got to eat anyway. Might as well do it together. Uh, it's, 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 it's just kind of something to fill the time so we can sit around and, and take care of real things. You know, getting to know folks and, and being able to minister, that, that's, that's really the heart of hospitality. It's opening the door for fellowship, and, and sometimes that fellowship, we, we get to those deeper issues where someone can really get some help. Uh, on the flip side, uh, for an unbeliever, uh, those opportunities to open the door for the gospel because uh, you care about them enough to be hospitable, uh, many times with the carnal things. Often when Christians in the, the first century, there, um, in the New Testament times, hospitality was important because uh, there were very few inns, and there were many times, uh, by this point, uh, very poor Christians. So an anti-Christian society, and they find that you're a believer, it's very hard to get work. It's very hard to, you know, in America, by the way, it's, it's, it's hard to not look at things through the lens of, of, of America. You know, we have anti-discrimination laws. You, you can't be turned down a job because you're a Christian. Like, that can't be the reason. You can't get fired because you're a Christian. Um, you know, they may be clever and find other ways, but, uh, but really, uh, technically, you, you know, there, we have some protections. Uh, you know, that was not so here. That's not so in many places in the world. And uh, so you'd have poor Christians, you know, so much so that Paul was communicating to the churches of Macedonia who were poor, and, uh, and he had shared the need for these persecuted Christians back in Jerusalem and took up an offering. 
And, uh, and he did the same thing with the Corinthian church. And, uh, and they had made a big promise that they were going to do it. And that's what chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is about, is following up on this promise that they had promised to send some money, and they didn't. So they sent Titus to go collect and, uh, and, and things. And uh, there were some real needs. So these Christians, they would travel, and because there were a few inns, and even the inns they couldn't afford, they would, uh, they would, start, uh, they would kind of stay at other believers' homes. Now, to find out, you know, well, you come to town, who are the Christians? Many of them, what they would do is in their, on their doorstep or somewhere near their house, they would have the symbol of the ichthus. Some of you know what ichthus is. All right? It's basically what we call the Christian fish. The word ichthus is actually Greek for fish, but it's an acronym that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior. And, uh, and what it was, was a, uh, it was a, uh, a symbol, a profession of faith. Sometimes today, even businesses might put a little Christian fish on their, on their business sign or whatever. It's almost like a little sign. Hey, we're believers. Christians, come support me. Unfortunately, I think it's abused sometimes. But, um, but that was kind of what they would do back in those days. It's kind of a, a subtle symbol that this is a Christian home. Christians are welcome. You, you'll have a, a safe place here. And, uh, and so they would do that, and they would, they would go to these homes and maybe uh, uh, sit down for a minute so they can, and they'd carry one another's burdens and get to know the fellow believers. And as archaeologists have uh, excavated homes in the city of Ephesus, they found many times these carvings, uh, the ichthus, chiseled in stone at these homes. And it was something that has been discovered. And uh, Christians in Ephesus, uh, they used to announce to, to others in that pagan city, we believe that Jesus Christ is God. We believe we're believers, and that was kind of their, their subtle way of, of doing that. But hospitality uh, is, was kind of a, a way of life. He says, as believers, this is a very important thing because, because a believer coming into town, they didn't have a place to stay. So he's saying, hey, Christians, hell, let's help carry this. Let's help, let's help unburden these other Christians and minister them as they're coming through. They didn't have... A, um, they didn't have Airbnb websites, and they didn't have, you know, uh, email and, and texting and all this stuff to kind of figure out who's in the next town. Uh, so they'd come to town, and this was kind of one of the ways that they would do it. So we had a real, real practical example of what was going on here. But, you know, hospitality was very significant. Paul talks about pastors expressing hospitality. First Timothy 3.2, a bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, of good behavior, given hospitality. Uh, Titus 1.8, a lover of hospitality. But uh, not only the, the, the leaders, but, uh, but, but church in general, Romans 12, uh, verse number 13, we looked at this uh, a few weeks ago, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. In the context of spiritual gifts, um, there, are, there are necessities that, that the other believers have, and, and uh, they're using those gifts to, to minister in that capacity, and they're given to hospitality. That was a charge to the churches, to be hospitable with one another. You know, most of us have a, a point in our time when we've been refreshed, we've been touched by hospitality by somebody. You know, they opened up their home to us. They opened up, you know, whatever, uh, whether it be a neighbor, a friend, someone else, uh, another believer, and, uh, and how it meant something to you. You didn't know me from Adam, and you opened up your home to me. What a, what a blessing. I remember, uh, I remember uh, when my wife and I went... Uh, we had moved to, to Lancaster to go to Bible college, and, and we were there the summer before like, school started. And so I figured we'd like, sit down some, uh, you know, get, get our apartment in line and, and try to get a job and just some of those things. I remember our very first church service, one of the Sunday school teachers uh, came up to my wife and I and, uh, and said, uh, said, hey, do you have plans for dinner tonight? 
Like they know, <laughs> you know. All right, you're coming, you know, come on over to our house. And uh, our very first service, again, didn't know me from Adam. And, um, and we, uh, we had dinner there with, and got to meet several other young people. And, and, um, and thought that was, that was such a, a unique, interesting thing. And I've been in church for a little while up to that point, but that would never happen to me. Not like that. And that, uh, that same man today, he's a pastor somewhere else, and we're still friends. And we keep in touch. And, and, uh, but I, but I'm, I'll never forget that. That just, you know. Now, I know he was trained that way. I found find out later he's a staff member, and this was like, part of his job is to do this, right? But, um, but it meant something to me. It, it touched me. Uh, this stranger, first time uh, taken out uh, to, to his house, and, and uh, what a blessing that was. Being hospitable is important, but uh, so is the manner in which we do it. It says there that we, have, we it says to use hospitality, but notice what it says there. It says, uh, without grudging. Without grudging. Uh, the word grudging means murmuring, secret debate, or displeasure. Uh, it's one of those things, okay, I'll do it, but I don't want to. I'll do it, but uh, if they're going to make me do it. Right? And what's interesting here is, uh, I, think, I think the idea is that it's such an encouragement to the church members that, that boy, this is just what we do. That, uh, that, that it was almost like maybe some were just kind of going through the motions. I'd be like, uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble with pastor if I don't do this. Or I don't want to, uh, what are the other people in the church going to think if I don't, you know, uh, do this thing uh, um, without grudging? Or, or let's put it into the context. A stranger shows up at your door. Hey, I saw your, uh, your Jesus fish there. And I was wondering if we could uh, lodge tonight. <sighs> Why did I put that fish out there? <laughs> Why do I even have that chiseled in stone, you know? And um, uh, let me just say, whenever you do something for the Lord, if you're serving the Lord in any capacity, I just want to say your attitude could undo your action very quickly. Very quickly. You know, well, I did it. Yeah, well, you know. You ever have children obey, but, but you could tell in their heart they didn't really obey? They did what was expected, but, you know... Uh, uh, reminds me of a little boy that kept being told to take a seat in class. Sit down, sit down. And the teacher was getting quite upset with the little boy, and, and you know, she you know, says, you know, if you don't sit down, you're going to have to go to the principal's office or whatever she threatened him with. And So finally he sits down and crossed his arms, and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes that's how, kind of how our attitude is. But God wants us more than just doing kind things for others, but the heart behind it. That goes back to the fervent charity. This is something I'm working towards, and I'm, I'm wanting to give myself of this. And by the way, I want to say this. These are areas that every one of us can be growing in and doing better at as we consider uh, uh, expressing charity and, and sharing hospitality. Um, there was a lady that spent most of her day preparing dinner for the company I was expected that night, and she was kind of stressed. And, as guests arrived, she asked her three-year-old uh, daughter to bless the food. And the little girl said, well, I don't know what to say. And she was just kind of shy, and she said, well, just, just say what you heard mommy say at lunch. So she, uh, she said, dear Jesus, why did I invite these people to have supper with us tonight? Amen. You know, the heart is very important. And by the way, I'll, I'll say it with regards to that, that fun story, um, your children see how you serve as well. And they're going to pick up on how you serve. They're going to pick up on the heart of service. I believe that's why a lot of preacher's kids resent ministry. Because sometimes there's a heart of the service 
that didn't necessarily meet, match the action of the service. They're going to say, well, they saw me serving the Lord. And they saw, you know, well, they, they, didn't, they, they also heard you murmuring to your wife on the way home about the church members that were giving you a hard time. They also saw how you were frustrated with certain things and, and weren't handling it in a biblical manner. Um, they see the heart. So we minister in love, we minister with hospitality, and then we ought to minister with wisdom. With wisdom. Notice, uh, notice what it says there. It says, uh, verse number 10, And every man, uh, as every man hath received the gift, so minister the same one to another as stewards of the manifold grace of God, the gift. You know, each of us have been given different spiritual gifts, different abilities, and different uh, strengths uh, for the purpose of edifying the church and ministering to one another. Spiritual gifts are a significant component in the way we serve each other. Now, I will say this, your spiritual gift could impact you in your job, in your career field, and in, in a lot of other areas, but the primary reason for that gift is to serve the Lord. It's to serve the Lord. And, uh, and we do that uh, as we serve the Lord, we minister to one another, and so as we consider this, uh, you ought to discern your gift. What is your gift? Verse 10 says, Every man hath received the gift, even so minister. The word there, gift, translates from the Greek word charisma. And it means the divine uh, grace, the, uh, the, 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 the charis, the charis, uh, or enablement by the Holy Spirit. It's a divine grace. It's, a, it's enabling. Uh, it's a grace that causes me to do something. And God has enabled each of us with an edifying gift, something to, 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 to help with the church and to help grow things. And, and uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. There's a profit to it. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Warren Wearsby said, each Christian must know what his spiritual gifts are and what ministry or ministries he is to have in the local church. It's not wrong for a Christian to recognize gifts of his own, uh, in his own life and in the lives of others. What is wrong is the tendency to have false evaluation of ourselves. And he talks about how we should know our spiritual gift, and that, that should give us some insight on, on where or how we should serve. You know, I think too often we try to fit everybody into a box. All right, you want to serve the Lord? All right, come right here. You're going to work with our kids. All right, that's not a good fit for everybody. You know, you're going to work in this capacity. You're going to do this for the Lord and, and that. And uh, we need to be careful. You know, what, what is the spiritual gift and how are they going to fit in? And, and um, you know, and by the way, many of, them, many of the ministries can cross over and overlap with spiritual gifts that will thrive there. But you've got to find with that personality and that gifting, uh, where, where that should fit in. Uh, we've taught on spiritual gifts before. If you have questions, we can go into that some more later, but uh, I'll kind of, kind of move along. Um, but, you know, the reality is when you understand what your spiritual gift is and you find a way to exercise that gift, you are energized. You are encouraged and you are uh, driven. And, uh, you know, many times what happens when we, we burnout uh, takes place is when we're trying to fill a capacity that we've not been gifted for. You know, and sometimes there's just needs. Sometimes you've got to step in or sometimes there's, you know, di different, uh, different ways of serving uh, that just need to be done. And, and we need to monitor ourselves there. We need to understand that God's going to give grace. But, um, but, but, we, but, but also we need to understand that, that Ask, be, be humble enough to ask the question, is this exactly where God wants me to serve? Is this the capacity in which God wants me to serve? And, uh, and to be willing to, to adjust fire. I, um, a friend of mine who's in the ministry down in uh, San Diego area, um, 
when he, uh, he's been serving faithfully at this church as an assistant pastor for many years now, but when he first came, they could not find a good fit for him. Now, they had several ministries at this particular church, and uh, so there were, there were several options. It wasn't just like they brought you for this one thing, but they brought him on, and, and they tried in this area, and it just wasn't quite a good fit. And then they tried in this area, and, and, uh, and the poor guy was so discouraged because he just felt like he just could not find that spot for him. Well, then they started, uh, interestingly, they started an addictions program at that church. And that just became his niche. I mean, he took off. He, he was thriving. Before long, they were running, you know, 300 people on their Friday night meetings and, and, uh, and just, just serving and ministering. And many of those people, they got saved and started growing in the Lord and became active members in the church. And, and, and it's just uh, to this day, he's, he's one of the, 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 the leading uh, ministries in a, in a ministry called Reformers Unanimous and, uh, down there in San Diego. And, but, but it took some trial and error to kind of find where he is supposed to serve. And what it was all about. And I just want to say, don't be discouraged. That's okay. But, uh, but God has a place for you. God has something that he wants you to be involved in, wants to be doing. While we differ in our gifts, there's never an excuse for us to ignore the responsibilities from the Lord. Um, did you know every one of the spiritual gifts God calls us each to do in some capacity? The gift just means that's the easiest one for you to do. But you ought to walk, you ought to walk in that. You ought to you ought to strive for that. In, uh, in Romans 12, we have the list of uh, the edifying gifts, which I believe are the, are the gifts that are even still for today. A gift of prophecy, gift of serving, gift of teaching, gift of encouragement, gift of giving, gift of ruling or administration, gift of mercy. You know, some of those uh, come much easier for some than others. But God wants us to develop all those things. Did you know God wants us all to be merciful? Did you know God wants all of us to take a stand on truth? You know, God wants all of us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. Uh, do you know God wants us all to be givers? For some of those, they come easier for some than others. But he wants us to be developing all of these. But we ought to discern our gift. And, and, and so it says, as, as God has given to every man, as you received a gift, so minister the same, the same what? The same gift. Minister that gift one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We take the gift that God's given to us and we say, how does this fit in in the context of the local church? How do I minister? And then we display our gift. The next step, once you've, once you've found it, you, you step into it. And verse 11 instructs how to do it. If, if any man speak, so say your, your, your gift puts you in a position where you're going to speak. You're going to go edify somebody. You're going to go share some mercy. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it with the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so it says, if any man speak, let him speak the oracles of God. The word there, oracles, means, uh, means speak as though it was the very word of God. Now, we want to be careful because that does not mean... Take your philosophy and your ideas and speak it with such confidence that people are convinced that's like the Word of God. <laughs> so I think some people think that's what that means. Now, when you speak, make sure it lines up first and foremost with the oracles of God, with the Word of God. And then you take that and you speak with that boldness as though it was God speaking through you. You see, you go and visit somebody in the hospital, don't go and say, oh, you, you, you know what you need? Um, you know, God hears our prayers. You should pray, and, and God, God will hear, hear your prayers. I mean, it doesn't sound very confident, right? You know, no, you say, oh, you know, uh, let's, 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 uh, let's rest in God's promises. Let's pray together, casting all our cares upon him, for he careth for you. 
And, uh, and you come to that with this confidence that God, God hears us. God loves you. And God wants you to unburden yourself before him and as, as, you, as you're going through this trial and you're going through this difficulty. And uh, the confidence there uh, that, that, that God cares and that God knows. You see, huge difference. Uh, be very careful with philosophy, uh, with your own philosophies. Right? Uh, here's, here's what I think you need to do. Here's what I think you're going through versus a thus saith the Lord. What, what, what's God taking us through? Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for his sake. See, in our service to God, it's very easy for us to get weary at times. You know, even Jesus was tired, was weary after ministering to multitudes. And in Mark 4.38, he, he went down into the lower parts of the ship and uh, laid his head on a pillow, and we find him sleeping. He goes to sleep. He was tired. Uh, I, love, I love the passages like that showing the humanity of Christ. He was tired. He laid down, and he went to sleep. And, of course, the storm came, and they came down. Master, care us not that we perish. You know? and, um, but, uh, but, you know, there are times in ministry where we get tired. And so notice what it says there. If any man speak, let him speak of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. And here's the real challenge. We see what we need to do. We see what needs to be done. And we, you know, as we looked at even that fervent charity, is something we're striving for, we're working for like an athlete. Uh, there are times that we can get tired, and there are times we're tempted to do it in our own flesh. And especially if you fall into the trap of doing it grudgingly, you're going to get worn out. And so, so, so uh, here's the, the real challenge when it talks about as we're going to receive the gift, the, the grace uh, to step out and to serve God, uh, learning to be renewed in Him, learning to, to, that, that I'm doing this, God, as unto you. Uh, I'll be honest with you, there are times where I put myself out there and I walk away so renewed and so refreshed. And there are other times where I am just worn out and I am just not happy with how something went and I'm thinking, was that all me? Or was God a part of that? You know, I'll be honest with you, this evening was one of those, those nights. I, I was sitting there in my office just kind of getting ready for tonight, and I said, Lord, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not, you know, just, just being open. It's just us tonight. And uh, I said, I'm just not feeling up to it tonight. And, uh, and, uh, but I'll be honest with you, ever since I opened the Bible, I'm just, I'm excited about this tonight, okay? I'm not, I'm not faking it. This, I mean, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, hope you're getting something out of this. But... Um, uh, but resting in him, John, Jesus uh, reminds us in John 15, I love what he said in verse 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And coming back to that, and, and folks, sometimes it's difficult because that's like the invisible part. That's like the unseen part. Am I abiding in Him? Have I sufficiently prayed? Have I sufficiently sought the Lord? And, and I need His power. I need His strength to do what He's called me to do. That's a whole new level when we talk about ministering to one another. Um, but as we minister our spiritual gifts, we need to realize that we're doing it for the glory of God. We're doing it for His people. We serve the, we serve the Lord by serving people. And, uh, and so here's what it says. What, what's the end result? He says... Uh, um, if any man minister, let him do it as the ability that God giveth. To what end? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To be praised and dominion forever and ever. What's our motivation? Why do we do this? To the glory of God. And folks, if we ever lose sight of our motivation, we need to come back and ask ourselves, why am I doing this? What's this all about? 
to the glory of God. It's been said the measure of man's greatness is not how many people serve him, but how many he serves. How many he serves. God's given us great Christian liberty, and uh, it says in Galatians 5.13, his liberty is not for us to live in the flesh, but to serve one another by love. And, uh, you know, as we, as we consider this, we kind of wrap it up. Consider, you know, is there somebody that you're supposed to touch personally? Is there somebody you're supposed to minister to that, uh, that, that maybe you've been kind of pushing it off, you've been grudging about it? I just don't know. That's out of my comfort zone. That's out of my, my reach. I'm reminded of this morning we talked about that Sunday school teacher stepping out of his comfort zone and winning that little boy to Christ and um, became one of the most powerful evangelists that ever lived. Um, too, too often, I think, it's easy for us to get just busy with our affairs. By the way, busy with good things, busy with church things sometimes. Then we miss the individuals, those that God wants us to touch personally. Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Give his life a ransom for many. He calls us to walk in his steps. He calls us to follow him. And so, as believers, we take these spiritual gifts, we take these, these things, and we say, how now can I offer myself up as a minister? You know, as believers, as the body of Christ represented here in North Pole, we should, we should look at this in a manner of, of uh, how can I, as, as, as who I am and where I am, be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think every person in our church ought to be a minister. No, we have one minister. We have a pastor. No, no, no. We need to all be ministers. We're all called to serve. And uh, we serve our Lord as we serve others. And uh, so I hope that's uh, the help as we consider that, this one another, we are to minister to one another. And uh, I'll tell you what, every time I come across a, word, a phrase like that, that fervent charity, that always challenges me. Oh, yeah, I love everybody, but do you do it fervently? Uh, that's a challenge, right? That kind of puts a whole new dynamic to it. But um, I appreciate your church. I do appreciate the, the love we have for one another. And, and we, uh, I think for the most part, we do seek to, to be there for each other, to help each other, to, to meet needs, to be an encouragement, and, uh, and so forth. And I think as we, as we do this well, God will increase us and give us more that might come our way that we could further that, be a help to, be an encouragement to. And, uh, you know, I really look at it in that light, that the, those that God brings our way, he brings for a purpose. You know, why is this person here? What are, they, what are they doing here? Maybe they need a touch from God, and God may use you to do it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we